you'll uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. We read a bit of it earlier. Genesis 13 will pretty much camp out right there for the next little bit. If you'll read some verses there with me. We look at the life of Abraham. We're in a six-week series on his life. And that's what I've been talking about, the sermon evaluation forms that I'm asking you to fill out. Those, will, uh, those requests will cease after this series is over. we got today and three more sermons in the series, so I appreciate your help with that. Good to worship with you today. We've got visitors who are present at Hoover today, and we welcome you especially. And I look forward to seeing you again. When I was a kid, my dad would, uh, he and I would go hunting quite a bit. We would... We fished big part of the year, but during certain parts of the year when fishing wasn't as good, we would hunt. And uh, one of the times that we would, we would hunt is in early fall, and we, would, we were small game hunters. We didn't do a lot of deer hunting. We did a lot of rabbit hunting and squirrel hunting. Dad and I would, uh, would go. He'd take me hunting with him. We'd go out in the woods what seemed to me like out in the middle of the Amazon forest, I don't know, out in the middle of nowhere. I think I probably, if Dad hadn't led me out, I think I'd still be there, probably, probably dead, but still be there. That's the way it felt to me, this forest was huge. I don't know how old I was, but Dad would give me a little, uh, I had a 410 shotgun, a single shot. Only one, he'd give me one shell, I figured he'd, thought I didn't need more than one. If I hurt somebody, at least I'd only hurt them once. So I had this 410 shotgun, a single shot, one shell. I'd put it in the chamber, and I'd be ready. And he would tell me, he would say, Now, Chuck, I want you to sit down right here. He'd find me a place to sit. I want you to sit down and right here. After you've been here a while, after all the critters forget that you're here, they'll start to come out, and you might get a shot at a squirrel or a rabbit or something. See, Dad's real strategy, I know it now looking back on it, having been the father of sons, I know what his strategy was. Dad knew as long as I was walking along with him, he didn't have a chance of seeing any kind of living creature in the forest because as much, uh, much noise as I was making trying to walk through those leaves. But I think what he figured out fairly early on is I didn't like sitting there by myself. So he'd tell me, you know, just sit there. And I don't remember, 30 minutes. He said, I'm going to, in Dad's words, I'm going to go across this holler. And I'm going to go to the holler after that one. And, I'll, I'll, and I'm going to sit down over there. So you don't have to worry. I'll, I'll be there. If I hear you shoot, I'll come and, uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll help you. Well... As soon as I got seated down beside that tree, my imagination would come to life. Especially as soon as Dad got out of sight. I'd watch him, you know, as he walked away with his gun and walked down the hill and maybe up another hill. But as soon as he crossed over that last hill and went down and I couldn't see him anymore, I got very, very nervous. Bigfoot. <laughs> Grizzly bears. Rabbit squirrels and turtles and 
rabbits. You didn't know what might be in the forests in East Alabama. I mean, there are all sorts of things. Bobcats, you know, wild animals, lions and tigers and hippopotamus. You don't know what it might have been in those forests. So this, Dad, some of this, some of this is memory and some of this is Dad telling me later on how it worked out. But Dad said he'd he'd get out of sight, you know, where he knew he was out of sight. He said it wouldn't be 30 seconds before he'd hear me walking in those leaves trying to find him. He was like, Chuck, you didn't wait. You didn't wait. There was no way you waited long enough for any kind of animal to forget you were there. You're never going to kill anything at all if you don't sit there and wait. And I think in my mind, in my, my little, you know, unformed mind at that point was if dad was out of sight, he might lose me and I may be stuck in the woods for the rest of my life. So I was, I was kind of scared. I think there's a, there's a sense in which that silly illustration, that silly story can illustrate a bigger principle of, of something that kind of guides the way we live life, you know, because we live life liking to see I like to see. I like to connect the dots. You know, I, I mean, I've told you, you guys before, I'm, I was an undergraduate math major, and one of the things I always liked about math is, at least at that level of math, I know it gets theoretical, theoretical and a bunch of stuff after that, but at the level that I studied math, it worked, worked out. If you did it, you got the answer, and the answer was right, and you could... You had these steps. You know, you take this equation. If you work these steps, you get down to the, to the end of it, and it was right, and that's the way that it worked. And I like that about it. I still do. I like, for, I like to be able to connect the dots. I like to see if I do this, then this is what's going to happen. And if I do that, then this is what's going to happen. And you connect all those dots, and this is how, this is how the progression is going to go. This is how life is going to work out. But you and I both know that that's not how life often works. We so many times, and I guess more often than not, we simply cannot, we simply cannot see how things will work out. We just don't know. So we've got to make a choice. You know, we've got to make a choice about how we're going to live. We're going to live according to the way that, uh, I think illustrated in our story, the way that Lot lived. We're going to live according to the way that Abraham lived. So what we've got in Abraham, uh, in, in the story of Abraham in Genesis 13 is a very basic story. Just a quick context, quick backdrop here. Uh, background is what, what, we've, what we've studied so far. First part of Genesis 12, God chose Abram out of all the people in the world. And he said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. People who bless you, I'm going to bless them. People who curse you, I'm going to curse you. I'm going to use you and your descendants, this nation that I'm going to create. I'm going to use you to bless all the families of the earth. Everybody's going to be blessed through you. We studied that a couple weeks ago. And you remember that, that arch, I mean, that that narrative is going to go all the way to Jesus. You know, big. This is a big storyline in Scripture that starts with the story of Abraham. Then we looked last week at this example. Right after that, Abraham decided he's going to move out of the land that God promised him, go down to Egypt. He lied about his wife. You know, he's, he's, he's living by faith. He's, I think he's walking by sight. And he's, he's, he's simply not... He's not walking the way God wants him to. And as a result of it, he brings not, not blessings, but curses on the family of Pharaoh. We looked at that last week. All right, so now he's back up in Canaan. Genesis 13, starting in verse 1, it says, He went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. That's the southern part of the land of Canaan. 
And the text reads on, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he sojourned from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and, and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and, and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So you've got the introduction to the text. They go into the land, and here's the thing. This is the land that God's supposed to give to them. Abraham goes up. He's, do, he's doing well. <coughs> Lot goes up. He's doing well financially. And there's not enough room for both of them. So the text that we read earlier, I'm not going to read it to you again, but Abraham basically says to Lot, you know, we're kin folks. <clears throat> we're related, buddy. You look, you take whichever section you want, and I'll take the rest. I'll take the other part. You look to the left, I'll go to the right. You look to the right, I'll go to the left. <clears throat> but I want you to have whatever you want, and I'll take the other. So the text says that Lot lifted up his eyes. I think that's a pretty important expression especially when we read it in context of the kind of mentality that's motivating them right now. Verse 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered. This is in verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes. Now get this, he lifted up his eyes. That's just a biblical expression. You'll see that in a lot of different places. It doesn't necessarily mean anything bad. He lifted up his eyes, and this is what he saw. Some of you have been there to this place, and I'm told you can still see a view that in some ways is similar to the one that Abraham and Lot saw at this moment. Look down on the Jordan Valley, and it was well watered like uh, everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. You see that language that's going back to Eden, right? You see these echoes all the, all the time in, in Scripture. The, the echoes of the Garden of Eden, this, it's well watered. It gives you a glimpse of what it was, what it's going to be, but what it is not right now. But just a glimpse. He lifted up his eyes and he saw it was everywhere like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. That's where, that's where they had just been, of course. That's where Abraham and Lot had just been in the land of Egypt. In the direction of Zoar, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That's going to happen in about four chapters later, right? So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. So they're standing on this mountain range, as it were. And so as they are looking out before them, Lot looks out there and he sees the Jordan Valley. And so he goes, he goes east. This mountain range is in the middle. The Jordan's on the east side. So, so anyway, he goes to the Jordan Valley. It says they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. But, but listen to the language. There's some, some ominous sounding tones here. While Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. But just think about it with me for a minute. When you think about what happened, if you and I had been in the situation, you got Abraham, you got Lot. Abraham says, Lot, you just pick whichever you want. And Lot looked out there and he did... He did Something that makes, makes perfect sense from a natural perspective. I mean, it makes really good sense. That part of the world, and any part of the world, you've got to have a water source, and that part of the world, a good water source is especially important for livelihood, supporting your, your uh, livestock. 
supporting your family. And so he looked out there and he said, well, that is the best ground that I can see. It's got a good water source. You see trees indicating prosperity. It looks kind of like that garden we've heard tell about. It looks kind of like that, that land we left down in Egypt. It looks good. And so he chooses that land. Now, there's some ominous tones here. He lifted up his eyes and he saw. He lifted up his eyes and he saw. And it looked good to him. It looked good to him. And so he picked that land. There's nothing, again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that except for some things that are embedded in the text that are going to come out later, right? But he lifted up his eyes. The focus there is on what he sees. Now, look in our text also in verse 14 when it talks about Abram's choice. Verse 14 says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes. Okay, so you look now. And you look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring ever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. There's this emphasis in Abram's life, this focus on God. And I don't know, you may not take time to do it now, but you'll notice a pretty big distinction. In the first part of 12, after God calls him, says, I'm going to make of you the father of a great nation, Abraham immediately started moving around. And you know what he would do when he would stop? He would build an altar to the Lord. It's like a signpost. This is the territory God is giving me. This is the territory that belongs to God. He built an altar and he built an altar. When he went down to Egypt, you don't read any of that in Genesis 12. He didn't build an altar as far as the text is concerned. Didn't build a single one. But now he comes back up. It seems as if he's got his head straight on again. He gives Lot this choice. Lot makes his choice. Abraham then immediately begins traversing the land. And he is once again putting up an altar to the Lord. An altar to the Lord. You see the contrast between these two guys at this point? It's going to play out even bigger later on. But you see that, you see that the start of it right here. Lot lifts up his eyes and he sees a land that is beautiful. And so he says, I want that for me. Abraham, you'll be on your own. <clears throat> my sight, man, my sight makes good sense, makes good financial, agricultural sense, whatever. Let me have that land. Abram lifted up his eyes, having been instructed by God, and God said, I'm going to give you everything that you need, Abraham. You look to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. I'm going to give you everything that you need. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make you, really, he's reconfirming the promise to him here. He says, I'm going to make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Walk throughout it. Walk the length of it. Walk the breadth of it. I'm going to give it to you. And Abram moved his tent and he built this altar to the Lord. So you got this contrast here. I want you to see. I want you to see the stark contrast between these two guys at this point. We'll take this to us in a minute. But listen to what's happening here. Walking by sight, what you can see, versus walking by faith. You see the difference here? You see what happens here? What you're going to find in the Bible is that there's always, there are always two ways of doing life. There are always two ways of making choices, of setting your priorities, of determining the course of your life. Always going to be two Two choices. You can do it by sight or you can do it by faith. 
from a human perspective, sight often makes much more sense. But it often does not work out the way that you anticipate that it will. In fact, we're not going to do this today, but if we were to read on, you got those ominous notes at the end of Genesis 13. Lot looked at the well-watered plains of Jordan, and that was where the city of Sodom was, the city of Gomorrah was. And he moved his tents. He moved his places of livelihood. He moved them in the direction of Sodom, in the direction of Gomorrah. But, yeah, you know, there's some bad folks down there. There, there are bad people down there, but, man, that land looks good. The water looks good. Now, if you were to read on, in chapter 13, Lot finds himself in a pickle, and Abram has to go and rescue him. I mean, things don't go the way that Lot anticipated that they would. In fact, that's often the way that it works. When we use when we walk according to sight, often what we think we see is not what really is, and the consequences which we cannot see often are not what we want them to be. And so if we were to follow the story of Lot, his is one that is so discouraging. He ends up in chapter 13 being, caps being uh, captured, and then Abraham rescues him. You read on in the book of Genesis, remember the famous destruct destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? He didn't just live near Sodom and Gomorrah. He had taken his family and they live in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God had basically just to drag them out in order to get them out of the city before fire and brimstone rained down on those cities. So you see what happens here? I want to give you a, a, an idea of what this looks like. This kind of language is used in a lot of different places. And here's one of those places where it's used in Genesis 3. You remember the story here. Don't eat of... Don't eat of one particular tree. You can eat of any tree in the garden except for this one. But don't eat of this one. They that you eat of it, you'll surely die. Satan knew, though, what he was doing. You know, he knew how to get people to do what he wanted them to do. He knew how he were made. And so he went up to Eve. And one of his, one of his uh, methods of temptation was, man, it looks good. It looks good. That's what she saw. That's what, that's what the text says. When the woman saw, when the woman saw that, that the tree was good for food, do you know the rest of the story? When she saw that it was good, when it, when it looked good, little did she know that by eating the fruit that was precipitated by this, this visual appearance, she looked at it, it looked good, she tasted it, it tasted good, and the fruits of eating it were catastrophic. And how often it is the case when we choose to walk outside of faith, outside of what God wants us to do, and we choose to do it our own way according to what looks good to us, how often are the results going to be catastrophic? With Lot, I can guarantee you that if we were able to talk to Lot, we would say, he would say to us something like, man, my first mistake, my first mistake, was that first step I took toward, toward Jordan. That was the first one. My next one was when I set up shop outside of the city gates of, of Sodom. And my next one was when I became a city councilman at Sodom. But it looked good. 
Look good. Every audience the size of this one, some of us are walking by sight. It's a natural thing to do, man. It's an easy thing to do. It comes really easy. Making decisions according to what we think to be best, leaving God out of the picture entirely, making financial choices, making career choices, doing what we do because we think it's best according to our own human wisdom and leaving God out of the picture. And sometimes we rubber stamp it with some sort of a prayer to God. I've done this before. Have you? Thinking about, thinking about some big decision that I'm going to make, and it turns out as I pray about it that so often I find that God leads me to make the decision that I already made before I even started praying. You ever notice that? It's hard not to walk by sight. It's hard not to make up your mind before you ever go to, go to prayer. Jordan Valley looks good. Some of our ten teenagers in the audience, in this audience, this crowd, I'm guessing, are playing around with some stuff. You don't want the consequences of it, and you think you're going to be able to avoid them. You walk by sight, and it often leads to a difficult place. It often leads to consequences that you don't want, that you cannot foresee. And God put a fence, God put parameters around certain trees, so to speak, certain valleys, so to speak, because he knows what waits on the other side of taking the first bite. God knows. There's a difference between walking by sight and walking by faith. Walking by faith is submitting to God's leadership even when you don't know where that journey is going to go. You know where it's going to go ultimately, but you don't know all the stops between here and there. That's the journey of faith. Lot wanted to make his decision on every step. I'm going to go to Jordan. I'm going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to rise in the political ranks in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to straighten them out. I'm going to get, make these two cities godly cities. I don't know what was going through Lot's mind. All I know is that's not how it turned out. He pitched his tents. He moved as far as Sodom. And he found himself in a situation where he lost his family. He lost his testimony. He lost his influence. And he almost lost his soul. Walk by sight. You look at the tree. You look at the fruit. And man, it looks so good, doesn't it? Can I ask you to self-evaluate now? Because I don't know, and maybe nobody else knows, what that fruit is right now that Satan is dangling in front of your eyes. Your appetite has been wet. And you are considering, you know what God wants for you, but you know what? You believe just a little bit of what Satan whispered in, in her ear, and that is God put a fence around this thing, whatever the thing is, God put a fence around it just because he doesn't want you to have any fun at all. God's a cosmic killjoy, right? That's what Satan wants you to think. Walking by sight. When you see that the tree was good for food 
and it turns out that it wasn't so good after all. This um, can't talk about faith really, but without at least referring to Hebrews 11, because the Hebrews writer referring back to back to the Old Testament, and it goes through this litany of people who walk by faith. But I love this definition, the first part of the chapter, because it's got our our words. Two little words in the verse that have something to do with the theme. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things. What is it? The conviction of things not, not seen. Not seen. If you're a Christian, you're like everybody else in the sense that you'd like for everything to work out just the way you anticipate some of you are planners. Lots of you are planners. Carry around these two foot thick planners. Some of you guys do that. Like to plan. This is how it's going to work out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. This is my calendar. It's going to, it's going to work out. Walking with, walking with Jesus Christ doesn't work out like that. Some of you walked that path long enough to know this. I love where Hebrews 12 goes, you know. Hebrews 12, he starts out with this beautiful description or definition of what, of what faith is, or rather Hebrews 11. I love where it goes in chapter 12. Hebrews 11, verse 1, this definition. Um, he says it's a conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then he goes on and he says, by faith Abel, in verse 8, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith Noah, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea, and on and on and on. But the trajectory of Hebrews 11 is always heading toward Hebrews 12 because he's got this idea, this is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And he gives these examples of people who did it, but they did it quite imperfectly. In fact, they did it in a, they bungled it up quite a bit. I mean, it was pretty bad at times. Any one of those guys. Moses, did he walk by faith? Sometimes. Abraham, did he walk by faith? Sometimes. But when you get through with Hebrews 11, it's, I wish that chapter break wasn't there because Hebrews 11 is going up. This trajectory is up. And it gets to the end of his thought, at least, but it's not, he's not done with it. He says, therefore, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily or clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here it is, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, this is the thing about Jesus. Jesus walked not by sight, but by faith. He wasn't like Lot. He was like Abraham, except the perfect example of that. Jesus was able to go to the cross. Why? Why, 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 could, Jesus, why could Jesus endure the horrors of Gethsemane why could he allow himself to be arrested that Thursday night? Why could he go to Caiaphas and Annas and to Pilate and to Herod and back to Pilate? Why could he allow them to beat him? Why would he allow them to scourge him and to spit on him? How could he carry the cross to the place of execution? How could he do that? Because he was walking not by faith. It says in, in our text in Hebrews 12 too, who for the 
joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see what he was able to do? He could see what was on the other side of suffering. He could see what was on the other side of the cross. And it is there where the writer is telling us to go in Hebrews 11 and 12. Yeah, we look to Abraham. There's, there's a good reason to look at Abraham at times. Yeah, we might look to Moses. Moses was a, a man of faith at times. We might look to Joshua. We might like to look to some of these great heroes of faith in the Old Testament. But ultimately what he's saying is you look to Jesus who did it perfectly because he was able to look on the other side of Calvary and see the empty tomb. He was able to look on the other side of Calvary and see his resting in the bosom of the Father. He was able to look on the other side and see him standing there, sitting there at the right hand of the Father. He could see by faith what, what kept him going in the difficult times. Is there something for you and me there? I mean, is, is there something there for us? Surely there is, right? Some of you, some of us, some people in the church, some, some people who are walking with Christ are thinking about giving it up. And it's because you're starting to walk by sight. I don't know how this is going to work out, Lord. I got this bad diagnosis from the doctor. I don't understand. I've been a Christian all my life. Uh, my, my, it's hard being a parent. My children are giving me grief. It's so, so very difficult. I live in constant pain. My, my work is a source of grief and discouragement. I can't deal with these people anymore, Lord. And I thought that it would be different. I thought that if I walked with you, it would be different. Walking by sight. You see, the difference walking by sight is looking at these problems, looking at these things through human eyes. Walking by faith is looking past the thing to what God has waiting for his people. Do you ever wonder, this is, this is kind of interesting, back to our Abraham Lot story. Why did Abraham say, Lot, you choose first? Because I'll be honest, if I'm the patriarch, if I'm the older one and I have the priority, I'm going to say, Lot, have a seat, buddy. I'm going to pick out what I want don't worry, I'm going to leave you something. That's okay, you'll be, you'll be all right. But I'm going to, after all, God's the one who made the promise to me, Lot. He didn't say Lot, he said Abram. So I'm about to make the decision, and I'm going to, I'm going to get the land that, that, that I think God wants me to have. You could spiritualize it. This is what God wants me to have. Why didn't Abraham do that? Why didn't he do that? You know why he didn't do it? At this particular moment, not always going to walk like this, but at this particular moment, Abraham, I think, is convicted with all of his heart that God is God. God means what he says. God's going to keep his promises. And when you are a person of faith, it frees you up to make some risks because your future doesn't depend on getting everything right here. Your future doesn't depend on getting the best land or the best house or the best flocks or the best herds or the best job or the best degree or the best ACT score or the best scholarship or the best job openings when college is over. Your career, your life isn't dependent on all these things. And so it allows you to step back and say, God's going to work this out a lot. You pick first. Faith lets you take some risks that aren't really risks because when you've got God on your side, when you're walking by faith, when God is with you, what kind of risk are we really taking? Abraham never really risked anything 
because he knew God's going to take care of him in the end. And that's exactly what happened. God protected Abraham, and he walked with him through the journeys, and he fulfilled every last promise that he ever made. Lot walked by sight, and the rest of Lot's life is a tragedy. Looking unto Jesus, our faith looks at Abraham, but, but more so it looks beyond Abraham to the one he was emulating by faith, and that is one who persists through the suffering because he knows the joy that waits him on the other side. If you're not a Christian today, if you're not a, a follower of Jesus Christ, God never promised any of us, and he doesn't promise you, a life free of friction, a life free of disappointment, or pain or sorrow. He doesn't, he doesn't promise any of us that. He didn't promise Abraham that. But what he does promise us is that if we walk by faith, what that means is you don't, have, you don't get to connect all the dots, but you know where it's going to end up. You know what the picture's going to look, look like at the last day. You just, just don't get to fill in every frame yourself. But what God has promised us is that picture that he's painting is going to be a beautiful one if you trust him. And part of trusting him is just turning your life over to Christ. We'll baptize you for the forgiveness of your sins as you identify with the risen Savior. You begin a walk with him that's characterized by difficulty at times, but you're always accompanied by the one who can, for the joy that was set before him, endure the cross. He's going to walk right beside you every step of the way. and He's going to be working on that beautiful portrait that beautiful frame, that beautiful image, and one of these days you'll get to enjoy it with him. That's the beauty, that's the hope, that's the confidence we have as Christians. If you're ready to become one today, maybe you need to come back to him today because your life has, it's quite honestly, it's been, you've been walking by sight maybe, walking according to what you can see, not what God has promised you. Why don't you come back? Let's stand, let's sing this song for your encouragement.